After a week break, the Shooter's Touch is back, and we bring on with us assistant coach of the Chicago Bulls, Nate Lenzner. Now, BC and Nate have a previous relationship working in Iowa State basketball camps when Nate was an assistant there and keeping in touch after that as well. And, you know, Nate, Nate being from Iowa and, you know, really making the rounds as a, as a basketball coach, whether that be assistant, head coach, um, operations, GA, he's really excelled wherever he's gone. He grew up in Cedar Falls, Iowa. Uh, he played for NU High, where I remember him coming to Ackley, Iowa, and um, having some battles with my school when I was in probably late elementary, maybe middle school when he was playing. But I remember that team very well. And, um, you know, after that, went to Iowa State. We'll get into this, played a little baseball, and may have actually shut that program down single handedly. It's a little bit of a joke, but we'll we'll dive into that too. After college, he got into coaching and, you know, went back to NU High, was a coach there when he was 20 years old. And then, you know, as I mentioned, moved around to some other places, uh, was an assistant under Larry Eustachy, moved back to Iowa to the high school game, then moved under Fred Hoiberg at Iowa State, and then moved to Chicago with with him where he is right now. Um, You know, we talk a lot about our guests and how much passion they have behind basketball, but you can really tell the passion that Nate has behind coaching and improving players, player development, and you know making men out of these players. You'll hear that in the podcast. As we always mention, we really appreciate our listeners. We do what we do because of you to expand the reach of these small schools that don't get the media publicity. There is great basketball played in Iowa. And we love it, and we want more people to know about it. So tell a friend about us. We would really appreciate that. If you like what you hear, give us a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcasts. And follow us on social media, Shooters Touch IA on Instagram and Twitter. And search the Shooters Touch on Facebook. As mentioned, without further ado, Coach Nate Lenzer of the Chicago Bulls. Shooters touch, can't nobody shoot like me. Fourth quarter down three, need a two and one. Better call on me, better call on me. If you know you need a shooter, I'm ice cold like a cooler. Get you right though, I can tutor this. That mic flow, I'm a hooper. I got blue faces on blue faces. I'm too. Welcome back, shooters. We have another great episode of the Shooters Touch, and today we bring on assistant coach of the Chicago Bulls, Nate Lenzer. Coach, welcome to the Shooter's Touch. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm looking forward to it. It's been a long time coming, Nate. I know we talked uh, back when we had Coach Oakland on, um, and you came up on the pod then. And so I'm I'm glad we were finally able to sync up our schedules and and get you on and and talk some hoops here. Like I said, I heard heard Coach Oakland's, and I got excited about what you guys are doing, and uh, glad that we got it to work out today. Well, perfect. And as you know, obviously the the big thing, uh, two connectors that we have are basketball and Iowa. Um, two things that I think uh, everybody can agree have a special place in all of our hearts. And so, uh, take us back a little bit. Growing up, um, what was sports like? Um, what was the neighborhood competitive? Other sports? What was uh, what was it like growing up for Nate Lenzer? You know, I mean, growing up in in Cedar Falls, I just uh, I was just in involved in everything you know um baseball basketball football golf i just uh 
from an early age, I just took to, to any sports. Um, and, uh, I always, you know, the question always came up, what was your favorite sport? And I always just said, whatever season it was. So, um, you know, playing on recess or whatever, you just, you know, you're changing the season. So you're changing the sports. Uh, my parents were huge, um, Iowa state fans. So they've had season tickets, um, for basketball and football really my whole life. So, you know, it was easy for me to go to a, a game on Saturday and then come back and play, you know, recess and pretend I was one of those Iowa state football players. Or then, you know, in the mid eighties, um, we started getting basketball tickets as well. And, you know, they were during the Johnny Orr era. Um, it was just fun to, um, you know, pretend I was Jeff Grayer or Fred Hoiberg or whoever uh, back in YMCA basketball. And then, and then I've always just had a, a love for baseball. So when it was summertime, I was in the backyard uh, playing with the neighborhood kids and just enjoying whatever season it was. My, my saying when I was a kid, uh, whenever someone would ask me that, I don't know where I got it, it had to have been my parents or something, but I would always say, ask what my favorite sport was. I'd say football, basketball, baseball, and golf on Sundays was always, was always my response. It was the same way. I think all of us kind of shared the same thing growing up small town, Iowa. You just kind of played, you played every sport and whatever season it was, um, you know, you just picked up the glove and you went out and you competed or what, whatever. And so, um, so what was it like? What was the level of competition? Did you have any siblings um, that you would compete with, kids down the street? What, what was it kind of like growing up from a competitive level? You know, to be honest with you, uh, I'm the youngest of four, and my, my siblings are six, eight, and ten years older. And uh, they did not do any of the sports that I did. Um, they were more into swimming and track. Uh, no offense, I was never into track or, or soccer. Because being the, the one-armed guy, I just felt like that was taking the easy path. So as far as siblings go, I never had any challenges there. Um, I did have in my neighborhood uh, behind me, I had uh, the Doden family. Eric Doden was a kid who was one year younger, and his dad was actually a assistant football coach at Wapsie Valley and was a big baseball guy. So I spent time with him. And then actually across the street, I had a a guy named Toby Hayek, who was about five years older than me, who actually ended up being a very good person to compete against um, because he would literally like crush me in about every sport it was. So, and, and, and luckily my competitive drive uh, couldn't understand why there was such a gap, even though with a five-year gap, you can imagine like he'd play football in his front yard and it would be, you know, whatever, just like everybody does, uh, the length of a lawn and he would, you know, go like three downs where I would um, essentially maybe get close to the, the goal line, but he would make sure I would never score. And then he just crushed me on fourth down. So, you know, he'd give me just enough hope to keep playing, uh, which was good. But, uh, but I, I think my career record was, was way below 100 against him in about everything we did. But I, I think that really, like those type of things really um, – drove me to be have that competitive nature. I think um, being born the way I was uh, actually served as a, as a positive th thing for me because um, quite honestly, from an early age, I just did not want to compete or, or act like the one-armed player. I did not want any sympathy. I did not want to fit any stereotypes. And uh, I think that really drove me uh, throughout my, my, my younger years, especially to, to try and compete at the highest level. 
Yeah, you mentioned obviously a little bit of a, uh, adversity for you um, on the come up here. And, but, uh, you know, w- even with your physical difference, I've known you uh, six, seven years now, Nate. And from, from, from the beginning, it's amazing on how quickly I, I forget um, being around you. And it, that's just the way in which that you carry yourself. And obviously that started as a young age and the fact that uh, uh, not for a second are you going to let any excuses or anything slow you down. And um, obviously, that's carried you to where you're at today, but uh, uh, it definitely had to present some challenges and and even maybe to your advantage in some ways, like you said, of, of being able to have to put in a little extra effort and, and uh, carry you along. And so what was it like, uh, you know, playing, you know, you played, so what sports? So you played golf, you played baseball. I know we're going to get into the way in which that you, um, you basically shut down the Iowa State baseball program, from what I understand. Um, <laughs> But uh, so a little bit about that. But one of the other things I also want to hear is the, about this bobblehead collection. Is there some? Do you have a extensive bobblehead collection? And did that did this start when you were a kid too, or what's the story behind that? I can't. You know, the bobblehead collection is actually something I probably picked up later in life. Unfortunately, I hit the baseball card market in the in the late '80s and early '90s when apparently the whole world did and that's you know that's you know when i when i was that age the big thing was you know people that were about 10 years older all their parents were doing was throwing away their baseball card collections because they weren't worth anything well right about the 90s is when everybody's like oh these things are worth a whole lot so you couldn't get anything from the 80s and 70s or even before that and they started mass producing everything so i have all these card collections now that take up a ton of space so i I was always kind of had it in me to do a little bit of collecting but actually i would say more recently in the last 10 years it's been a more of a midlife crisis where i've got on the bobblehead train and uh it actually started when i was living in spirit lake uh there was a spencer goodwill that for some reason there was about a hundred plus bobbleheads that were for sale at this Spencer Goodwill and it had a lot of random people and I'm like this is kind of cool like you're getting Tommy Maddox you've got Yuta Tabuse from the Phoenix Suns I've got Wes Enseld I've got Vladi Divots and it wasn't like the people you think of or the people that you really maybe would exactly be looking for I'm like these are kind of cool and it started with that and I actually got my unicorn last year. I got my Jim Abbott bobblehead, which was nice. only was only released at a minor league game that I had to buy on eBay. So my thing is that is I'll never spend more than $20 for a bobblehead, and I like to get the most obscure and unique one that, that I can. And maybe it's just me reliving some of my, my younger days of, of collecting uh, baseball and basketball cards. Now, the funny thing is, going back to that, so in Cedar Falls, uh, you could get baseball, basketball cards at gas stations. And living in Cedar Falls, like all the college students, um, you know, would have their frat parties and house parties. So I had a friend and I, we would every Friday, Saturday, Sunday morning, we would scour the university and all the neighboring places. We'd get as many cans as we could. And what we'd do is we'd collect, we'd recycle, and we'd go to that store, and we'd buy the baseball court, baseball cards, and then we'd get to pick from there. Well, they actually, so not the, not the year of the Jordan uh, rookie cards, but the second year, they, they really had an influx of these basketball cards, which, to be lucky enough, they were like 33 cents a pack back in the day. And even though basketball wasn't really collected, which obviously it's, it's showing up 
now that that's what I should have been. That was a kind of a cool trait that we were, we were doing uh, at a young age, you know, we were picking up the community and picking baseball cards and trying to make a living that way. So fun stuff that way. Do you still have some of these cards and stuff? It sounds like baseball cards. Some of that stuff's making a return here. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it is. Yeah. I, I have, like I said, I have tons of 1990 and 91, like score and FLIR that are worth about $10 a maybe not even $10. They're not even worth the, the space they take up. But I do have a safe with some of the better cards. Um, I have a Pistol Pete Maravich rookie card. The problem was also around that time, people thought they were being slick. And I don't know if you know this as a, as a card collector, but people were, if you got like edges that were rough, they started like cutting the edges. Mm-hmm. So when you're like in third or fourth grade, you're trying to get the mint condition. Well, all of a sudden these cards get smaller and smaller. And now with the, <laughs> with the era of, you know, everybody trying to take advantage of the situation and you have to get it, you know, whatever scored or whatever. Uh, I don't even know if some of my better cards are even worth anything. Cause I might've tried to cut some corners as a, as a young kid as well. So yeah. but no, I, I still have it much to my wife's dismay. I, I do have a collection. Um, and I've tried to sort through it as best as I can. I've gotten into that a little bit too. Here, here the last last year or so with the, with the newer cars coming out, and it sounds like our wives kind of think the same thing about that habit that that I have now. So, well, the um, worst part is I have three girls too, so it's like there's not even any hope in sight because I don't really think they're gonna be too excited about my card collection. I was, you know, I'm very thankful for who I have as far as kids go, but as far as passing on my my younger traits. <laughs> They're a lot more interested in, in Disney princesses and, and yeah. the Trolls World Tour. So uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Same here. Same here. Well, uh, of course, let's, uh, let's transition to high school. So we mentioned all the sports you played. Um, what would you say was the sport that you excelled at the most? Well, what's, what's funny is, I mean, baseball is probably the one. I mean, I, I ended up being an all-state performer in baseball, and I, and I, and I played that the quickest. Um, I had, I lettered all four years in baseball. Um, I lettered three years in football. I lettered three years in golf and actually basketball. I only lettered once, but uh, I would honestly say basketball is probably as far as a passion goes, that was the one that I probably played the most year round. Um, like I just, I was even, you know, I was a starting wide receiver and free safety in football and, there were times on a, on a light Thursday practice, I would still go to the Cedar Falls Rec Center um, the night before a football game just because that was the passion. As we know, like baseball's in the summer in Iowa and we didn't have lights uh, at, at our baseball field at Panther Park, which is behind the Unidome. And um, there were times even after a baseball game, I'd go to the rec center, I'd go to the gym and play basketball as well. So. Uh, as far as probably accolades go, like I said, I was all state in, in baseball. I ended up being all district in football. I was two tackles off of Trev Albert, Trev Albert's school record for tackles in a season um, at free safety, which wasn't the best <laughs> plan on our part. That, that's uh, and that's, <laughs> and that's probably why I missed the second half of our homecoming game with a concussion. But, um, but, you know, to answer that question, baseball was probably the one that I, received the most accolades but but I would be lying if I didn't say like basketball is the one that I I just probably love playing the most I love playing pickup ball um 
it was a year round sport for me. Even when I went to college, I was, you know, I used to say I was in the lead rec center at Iowa state uh, on any day that ended in Y. So um, it was just go to class, go to dinner and go and hoop. And it was, it was just always a passion for me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So uh, you mentioned Iowa state. Um, how did you end up at Iowa state? Was there, was there any type of athletic recruiting or was it just school you went to? And then, like you said, became a, um, a, a rec center hero there. Well, going into my senior year, uh, well, going into my senior year um, at NU High, I went to Tim Floyd's competition camp. Um, and actually at this camp was a sophomore named Kirk Heinrich. Uh, there was also Ryan Sears, who later played at Creighton, was at Ankeny. And so at this camp, it was kind of a cool, cool deal. Like, you know, you're a young kid, you don't want to do the drills and the fundamentals that now as a coach, you want the kids to work on. Right. But this was a cool camp. It was like all one-on-one. -on -one. It was competitions. It was the five-on-five. -five. All you did is play games. Like my claim to fame there was I lost four to two to Kirk Heinrich in the one-on-one -on -one thing, which I later coached Kirk when I was with the Bulls. So that was something that I still to this day I told him, "How did you let me score two points?" But anyways, <laughs> that Kirk was kind was, of a Kirk was going to Iowa State before Floyd left, wasn't he? Kirk had committed to, to Iowa State. That is correct. And Nick Collison, the, there's a rumor that that might have happened or not happened, too, if, if Tim would have stayed. Now, the other part to that is when Kirk decommitted, that's how Iowa State got Jamal Tinsley. And okay. Jamal Tinsley proceeded to win five straight against Kirk at uh -huh. Kansas, which I brought up to Kirk when I was coaching him as well. So that's, it's, all, it's all funny how everything kind of intertwines. So Worked anyways, out for all schools, I think. It did. It did. Is, uh, so at this competition camp, Coach Floyd pulls me to the side during one of the games and he says, hey, um, what are your grades? You know, what are, you know, what are your activities? I was wearing an Iowa State shirt at the time. He goes, I just appreciate wearing an Iowa State shirt. I hate at these Iowa State camps when kids have Michigan or Iowa shirts or stuff like that. As little as it sounds, it's great. And he goes, I love how you play. Um, my grades were good. He said, hey, no, no guarantees, but in the spring, um, contact my office, and, and you're the type of guy that we look for for a student manager for our program. So fast forward through the season, springtime, I go to a leadership conference in Des Moines that Coach Floyd was speaking at, and I had already sent a letter in. I had two people older than me that I, that I got to be friends with. One is Adam DeJody, um, who, who went to NU High as well, who was a manager with that team as well um and then the other guy that was a friend of mine that was on that staff already was brian hagan who happens to be one of our assistant gms with the bulls now as well so i talked to them about when i should send a letter in i did that i see coach floyd at the leadership conference and i'm like coach did you get my letter which now looking back i'm sure he didn't get the letter didn't even look at it and i said he goes yeah yeah um uh, well do you want the job i said absolutely he said okay well so from that point on, there was no question I was going to go to Iowa State then. I had already probably was going to go there anyways, but I had pretty much from that moment decided I'm going to Iowa State. I'm going to be a manager from there. Well, crisscross the part of NU is a, or a, Iowa is a summer baseball. I batted 289 my junior year of baseball at NU, which, was, which is solid, but not anything that's going to get you any sort of looks or any like college aspirations. Well, that summer, that's when I batted 596 of my senior year at NU High. 
And I, lit I literally missed a game versus Applington Parkersburg so I could work team camp for Iowa State on that incoming year. So fast forward, I go to Iowa State. And, but of course, by that time, I'm like, oh, should I be trying to play baseball? Should I be doing something? So I start the fall year. It's the year that Marcus Pfizer is coming into Iowa State. Um, and, I, and I loved it. it. I worked very hard for a month. I was going to school, obviously, at Iowa State. And I just, after a month, I'm like, you know what? I should maybe try to play baseball. Um, I stayed with basketball as far as intramurals and all the pickup stuff. So I actually tried out for the Iowa State baseball team then my sophomore year at Iowa State. And uh, believe it or not, I was actually cut or I, w I didn't even make the team from there. It was kind of an interesting situation. They had us run the 60 yard dash, which I ran it well. I stole 60 bases my senior year. So I didn't think speed would be an issue. I threw 88 from the outfield which probably should have been enough. And the, the hitting instructor at the same time said, uh, gave me a four out of five on my hitting and said, unbelievable, and said, you need to be on the team. And then when I went in to meet with the head coach, he's like, yeah, we don't have a spot for you. So I was a little baffled at that. What happened well, from that tryout is I started, I, I, I got a few friends that were playing in the Cedar Valley League in, C, in the Cedar Rapids area. So I played for Williamsburg for two summers and it was a wooden bat league with semi-pro guys and we ended up playing against this Norway club who had a guy Tim Evans who at the time was coaching at Kirkwood well then he later went to Iowa State as their new hitting instructor I'm in my fourth year at Iowa State playing pickup ball and Tim Evans sees me playing basketball and uh, reached out to one of my friends who's Spencer Allen who is actually the head baseball coach at Northwestern now for baseball and I, you know, the rest is kind of history. He called me after their first weekend series, said, come to the office. I did. I was on the team and traveling within a couple weeks and uh, got my first at, first and only at bat against Northern Iowa back home in Waterloo. And right about that time is when they also cut the program. So to your point, I may have shut the program down. I don't know, but uh, I will say that it was quite an experience and, you know, to grow up an Iowa State fan and to to grow up in an Iowa State family to put on an Iowa State um, jersey was obviously a cool thing, but I actually went to Iowa State to be a manager. I knew that at some point the coaching was going to be a part of my plan and my path. I just, you know, like I said, the 596 and 60 stolen bases, I just wondered if I had a little left in the tank, which ultimately it, it ended up working out uh, the way it was supposed to. No, that's, that's awesome. I mean, great story. Like we mentioned before, overcoming adversity and getting an opportunity to fulfill your dream. And then ultimately, uh, you know, at least in our circle, we definitely give you credit for shutting down the program. So congrats on that. <laughs> do my best. That, I, I do have my it? jersey hanging up so and it'll never be worn again. I've, I've yeah. shut down two programs. Not only that, this past weekend, I went to Cedar Falls for a Labor Day and I, I finally retrieved my baseball jersey from high school at NU which with NU being closed down I've got you know that's that jersey's never going to be worn again and my, my college jersey's never going to be worn again either so I don't know if I'm bad luck as I'm as I'm talking this out to you guys or not so. was the was the at bat that shut down the program at least a home run or, uh, or at least no, it? nope absolutely a walk oh, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and scored a run so I do not even have an official at bat but my on-base percentage is a thousand so a thousand. we'll take that the and cool thing home run. 
Yeah, no home run. <laughs> the cool part, though, is actually, so that was my second appearance. My first appearance was as a pinch runner and against the University of Iowa. So, obviously, you grow up with a little angst toward Iowa if you're an Iowa State fan, especially living in the Cedar Valley with not many many fellow Cyclones. So that was kind of a cool deal. You know, I, pe I appeared in three games and two of them happened to be in-state schools. So kind of a cool, cool little awesome. story. Awesome. Um, well, you kind of mentioned, uh, you know, that you <clears throat> just, if nothing else, assume that coaching would, would, would it be part of your path? When did, when, when, when did that become, you know, or when did that come in your head that, you know, Hey, I want to coach. You know, that's what I'm going to do when I'm older. Um, when did that happen? You know, after my freshman year uh, at Iowa State, um, I actually went to Cedar Falls and uh, Cedar Falls High School, and I was an assistant freshman baseball coach there. And then I was assistant sophomore coach the next year. And then my high school coach, Paul Wack, uh, hired me to be the head baseball coach at NU High. And so I was... I was hired to be a head baseball coach at age 20. I was actually hired. So it's pretty crazy. And I'm, I'm coaching guys that I played against or I played with. And then from there, that's how I got uh, the head basketball job at NU high as well. So at age 21, I was <laughs> the head high school and head varsity baseball and basketball coach. So um, I don't know what you call the try hard guy or whatever it is. I always seem to get like the sportsmanship award or the Mr. Hustle award and all the things. So, but I always had a knack for just like, I wanted to know the ins and outs and the strategy that came with it. Um, I wanted to be a point guard. I wanted to be a part of the schematic things. I remember even in high school, helping my head coach with the scouting report for our district games, I would go myself and scout them even as a player. So, I think it was always in my blood that way. Um, I wanted to play as long as possible, but I knew that at some point there was going to be a cap for it. So that's, that's kind of how I got on the coaching path, but it's kind of wild because I, I did coach six years of baseball as well. And I started more as a baseball coach, but I, I think what ultimately led to the being the head basketball coach at NU high was just, I do, I did go to school at Iowa state to be a teacher as well. And I think coaching ultimately is, is, is teaching and developing relationships and communicating. And obviously, as you move up, the content becomes more and more important. But if you can, if you can relate and you get the person to believe in what you're trying to teach them, I think that that can obviously carry you uh, a long, long ways. Did you coach, was Alan Johnson? What, would you have missed Alan or where would, where, how is that timeline? Alan? Alan Johnson was not there. He would have been, I think he graduated the year before. I okay. took over at NU High in two, for basketball in 2001, 2002, and they made it to the state tournament the year before, and Alan Johnson was on that team, but they graduated all five senior starters, I believe, which was like Jake Strzok, Alan Johnson, some of those other guys. Yep. Jed Ellerbrook was the only uh, – kind of carryover that really played on that state tournament team the year before. And Jed Ellerbrook hit a very good shot against you, Adam, in, in a contest. Um, I remember that. I believe you're, you're <laughs> I also remember that, senior year. that name, Jake Struck. Man, that was a that was a battle we had in Ackley that, yeah. that night. 
was that, was, that was a year okay. before. I wasn't there. The, the night that you and I, the one time that we competed against each other, the night before, we lost a tough game to Jessup. And at shoot-around the next morning, I put in a matchup zone. And I threw out that matchup zone against you guys that night. You guys were undefeated, rolling into town. You had the Nielsen Fieldhouse packed. <laughs> and... Uh, Mad Dog, Matt Carlson, who was my manager at the time, um, we, uh, we, we had a little wager going that if we would win, we would shave his head. And um, <laughs> we, uh, we prevailed in that game. Jed threw in a half quarter, if I believe, at the end of one of the quarters. And you guys probably had the worst night you could have possibly had. I'm a big believer when it comes to coaching, if you're undermanned, which we were that night, that you need a little cooperation. So I appreciate your guys' cooperation that night. And uh, that, was, that was a fun win. Um, and Mad Dog shaved his head after the game. So Mad Dog. I honestly remember him, actually. Um, that, yeah, that was a fun night. That was a, a big night, uh, you know, honestly for all of our schools and, and Iowa basketball really too. So um, it's funny. I want to go back a little bit here. You mentioned that, you know, you were head baseball coach at 20, uh, head basketball coach the year after it seems. Um, <clears throat> I see a lot of the, a lot of the coaches we've talked to, Brian, have, have said that they, they got into coaching or maybe got a head job or whatever job it was maybe before they were ready. Is that kind of how, how, how you saw your coaching career um, on your end, Nate? Maybe before well, you're ready. I mean, I mean, looking back, you know, obviously I was probably not ready. I mean, I, I, I mean, there's no, you know, experience is, you know, as a young coach, you hate the word experience because it's like, well, uh, how do I get experience without experiencing it? So I'm very, I'm very thankful to coach Wack, uh, Paul Wack, who was my high school basketball coach. He obviously believed in me. Uh, to give me an opportunity with with very little, actually zero, <laughs> um, coaching experience, especially in basketball. But I, you know, I think, you know, first and foremost, and going back, and I, I think, I don't think I would have been given that opportunity if I would not have um, built up some level of trust with Coach Wack. I mean, some younger people are more ready, you know, just. Um, I don't know, just developmentally wise or just like just maturity wise, you know, I, 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 and I was very aware of that to that with, with the guys. Cause I, I mean, these are people that I was walking in the same hallways with that all of a sudden I was coaching. I, I did not let these guys call me Nate. I believed in them calling me coach Lenzer. I just felt like there had to be a level of respect there. And I also, you know, even though, I was young in my coaching career. I did know that those guys I was coaching, this was their one opportunity. So my sense of urgency was super, super high as well. And I would, obviously all coaches, all people make mistakes, but I knew I was going to be organized. I was going to be detailed. I was going to give my best effort for those kids and, and that I was coaching. And I felt that's what I wanted as a, as a, as a player. So those were the type of things that I tried to do. Now, looking back, I mean, what I know now, as opposed to then, you know, I'm in my 20th year of coaching now, but, but, but I can look myself in the mirror and I can look a guy like, like Jed Elbrook in the face and know, and he knows that I, that I, that I gave it my all for him. Uh, the guy I did my, my co-op student teaching with, I thought it was really good. He was one of the best um, elementary PE teachers that I've ever been around. His name is Len Thede, and he was a, a, an amazing 
uh, tennis coach at Ames for their girls program as well. If you look him up, he's like, like the best, like hall of fame, but you know, he had something in his office and I believe in it and I'll probably jack it up a little bit, but it essentially said people will forget what you say, but they'll never forget how you make them feel. And, um, I think that that's something that I've tried to relay, whether I'm in year one, year 20, whether I'm dealing with, you know, a sixth grader or an NBA all-star, you know, is, 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 is try to people treat people the right way, try to, try to coach and, and relate to them and teach them the way that you would want to be teached yourself. And with that, you know, like even at a young age, I wasn't sitting there trying out stuff that I, that I didn't believe in. Like it wasn't fair for them to be my Guinea pig. I wanted to make sure that I was at least coaching in a place of comfort and trying to be authentic for them. Yeah, I would say, obviously, Nate, from giving a chance to experience you and um, your coaching style and your philosophy and kind of how you do things. I mean, it's something that you, you can tell that you're appreciative and grateful for the opportunities and experience that you have because of how you treat young coaches and what they're trying to do. Obviously, I got an opportunity to work um, with and for you at Iowa State camp. And um, obviously, there's a ton of those managers that were in the same position that you were however many years ago. And you know, they all want to go down this coaching path too. And just, and just watching the way in which that you know, you take time and you're diligent with them and uh, you're honest and you're upfront and you're forward with them. It, it definitely rubs off. You can definitely tell that, uh, um, like I said, just from your experience, you're like, Hey, I, everyone, as you mentioned, you can't get experience until you have an opportunity. And then once you have this experience, what do you do with it? And it certainly seems like you've made the most of your opportunity. And, and it's great to see that, you know, you share that with other coaches as well. That must be a passion of yours. Well, I think, you know, even to this day, if people reach out to me, whether it's, I don't know why I'm on it, but like a thing like LinkedIn or something like that and aspiring coaches. Now, sometimes I don't have the amount of time that I wish I had just because I, I am, as I've gotten older, my, my, my work and family balance is, is a huge part of me as well. And, and part of my longevity, hopefully in coaching is, is my ability to still be the father and, and husband that I need to be from there. But, but anything past that, if it's not my job, I do try to call coaches that maybe are reaching out and how do they navigate. Now, a lot of people call out wanting jobs and, and unfortunately I, you know, I don't, it doesn't exactly work that way, but I, I, I think, and, and for a person who does care, like I wish I could give everybody a job or an opportunity, but I, but the one thing I do try to do is, is be authentic and be real and, and remember that, you know, people are trying, you know, that I was trying to work my way up too. And I remember the, the, the coaches that were short with me and wouldn't give me the time of day. And I, and, and I remember them, I have my list in my head as well. And I know that type of an, of impression that made on me. And I also know the people that, that, that did try and take time out and did try to help me. And, and now even in the situation I'm in, I'm even more appreciative of it because of some of the time constraints that they had, they had as well. You know, they see people see someone as, you know, now I'm working with the Chicago bulls. Like, Oh, I can do that. This guy's from Cedar falls. I know some of the same people and all that. And it's like, I don't ever want to provide a glass ceiling for people, but I do want to be real with them and tell them, Hey, if this is what it is, this is, this is what you have to be ready to do. And just remember like, this is 20 years in the making. 
and and the hours and the the work and the discipline and the choices and all the things that go into it that doesn't just show up like <laughs> on game day when you're wearing a pretty suit and you're sitting by these guys like this is you can't fake that and and I just try to um, make sure that people who are starting in the profession just really understand if it's you know everybody can talk the talk but can you walk the walk and you you alluded to it but I you know Fred's camps that Fred Hoiberg's camps at Iowa State which I ran for those three years well three summers but the two years I was there like we had to have a, a number of coaches help us with it because because Fred was obviously a huge draw and we had you know we were selling out those camps but I, I needed your guys's help and I thought it was also important that I spoke to you and not at you as, as younger coaches or coaches that would be wanting to move up in the profession. And the least I could do was, is, is treat people the way I wanted to be treated, which, which seems like that shouldn't be that hard to do, but you know, coaching is a, is a competitive tough field. And, and uh, I think I've seen it myself. People as they move up kind of forget uh, uh about how hard the climb was and how hard it is to break in. And I just try to be mindful of that. And I try to be appreciative of that because I also believe, you know, this can be taken away at any time. And I could be asking one of you two on this, this, this call right now for a job someday. And if I don't treat you the right way, then when I need help, you're going to be like, yeah, no, thanks. You know, I mean, so, and I, and I, and I've seen that happen in this profession, guys that crack into the business begging for jobs, are all of a sudden now leading their own jobs and it really, really pop. And it's, and it's, and it's cool to see as long as you understand that we're all on this kind of journey together. Well, even taking a look at your journey. So obviously um, went out and spent uh, six years, was it six years at uh, down in Southern Mississippi? And, and yep. um, obviously coaching changed and some stuff happened there. And like you mentioned, I mean, nothing is guaranteed brought you back home and up to spirit Lake. Uh, completely uh different environment and you know back to the teaching and coaching at the high school level and I know we talked about before getting on the pod but you knew that there was a, a, a burning desire to get back to the college level and then that's what ultimately and this is kind of where I want to go now is transitioning from high school into Fred getting the job at Iowa State and then you coming down um you have to kind of correct me on some of the details but it was a matter of you getting a call and then like two weeks and you were running that camp that first summer. Do you remember how that all went down? Yeah. I mean, I, uh, I, I was at spirit Lake for, I, I was at Southern Miss for six years and had great experience with coach Eustachie and had a, a ton of experiences. I was home three times in six years and I was, I, I just, I needed, just a change. I, I liked, I liked what I was doing there, but I wanted to kind of reboot my career a little ways. So I go to spirit Lake and spend three years up there and it was, and it was a good experience. I, I met my wife while I was up there. One of the best things I learned from there is actually the football coach that I worked with. You know, I kind of just went up there and, and had fun again, if that made sense. Um, I coached girls golf, obviously I was coaching basketball, but, um, the, the assistant football coach part was actually a lot of fun for me. And the, and the guy I worked with Josh Beloit, who is a head football coach there is just an unbelievable human and unbelievable coach. And I'm a big believer, like, again, like football, baseball, strategy, coaching, roster contract, all that. I think they can go hand in hand. I've gone to 
two Chicago Bears practices since I've been up here, just because I like seeing how people teach, how they react, um, how they interact and those things. So how I got to Iowa State was I just, you know, I'd missed college. I'd spent three years there. Um, I, uh, and really Fred had a opening as, as a graduate assistant. So I had six years of division one experience, five of which were as an assistant coach. I had recruited my own guys. I had done everything A to Z. I coached the last 12 minutes of a game against DePaul because you stay, she got tossed out. So, um, going as a 34 year old GA, especially with a newly married was a little interesting sell job for my, for my wife. But I, I also, I, you know, Iowa State was my school. Fred was obviously on a great path. So there was, there was a method to the madness for lack of a better term too. I knew I was getting into a good situation there. And to be honest with you, it was, it was awesome. You know, I came in the same year that Monte Morris, Jor and, um, Matt Thomas were freshmen. We had George Niang and Naz Long as, as sophomores. Um, Abdul Nader was in his sit-out year. We got Deontay Burton in the middle of the next year. And then I coached Bryce Dejan Jones the next year. And all those guys have now made it to the NBA. <laughs> and what's crazy is, like, it was just a – and including Fred, obviously, as well. And that, that led to my path there. And it was just – you know, Fred, Fred's an unbelievable guy. He empowered me. I mean, he obviously, he knew Coach Ustashi from the Iowa State ties, and he had, we, we had crossed paths a few different times as well. And, you know, one thing about uh, running camp at colleges is if it's really big, no one really wants to do it. <laughs> so, um, and I had experience doing it. I ran Coach Ustashi's camps as well. And um, to be honest with you, in a limited capacity coaching role as far as a graduate assistant I was thrilled to 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 get to run it for for coach Hoiberg and you know it was kind of like uh when I got there they had kind of been organizing it and it was kind of like I was looking around the room and no one like so who's running this and it wasn't really and then all of a sudden I was told I was doing it so then it was kind of like scramble mode I had to get my my coaches so I think I called coach Oakland first that's probably how you got on board so I got all the Wartburg staff. I got it. I was just calling any and everybody that I knew just because like we didn't have coaches in place. We didn't have, <laughs> for lack of a better term, structure in place. And, and uh, you know, at the end of the day, like part of the reason why I've been able to move up is I, I've called myself the bottom of the funnel guy. I, I haven't always had to have the most glamorous jobs. I've just, I've understood the A to Z. At Southern Miss, we didn't have a, we had a very small staff, so I was thrown into the fire. So I was painting the locker room, doing the coach's radio show when Coach Eustace didn't want to do it, <laughs> did the TV show. I coached 12 minutes. I was recruiting. I was doing the academics. So I, I knew all the parts of it. And when it got to Iowa State, I was like, this is a breeze. We've got like 14 managers. We've got two GAs. We've got an ops guy. We've got a director of player. I mean, it's like all these people. So like I could, okay, this is what you need me to do. Cool. And uh, we got the one, two, three claps going at, at uh, Iowa state. And um, we definitely were UC. There was not a lot of, not a lot of OC. So, so the, the out of control, the OC versus the under control UC, we have that going on in our house and I can control 400 kids at a Iowa state basketball camp. I can't seem to get my five and three year old on board with it yet, but I think, um, you need a microphone. I think that's what you're missing. <laughs> need a microphone that might be a, get a whistle that might get them going. 
but I mean, and it's funny you bring it up like to this day, I mean, it still is amazing. And I believe you worked all three of those camps. Cause I kind of had my core with you and Stagy and, and Oakland, you guys were kind of my, you were my crew. You were my commissioners as we yeah. called them. So those were the most important people at camp. And um, I mean, it's wild to me in year three, like when Fred was a head coach of the bulls, like, we still ran that camp without a head coach at Iowa State. We ran like three camps with no head coach at Iowa State. And I know they wanted to see Fred and all that, but I, I still thought we did a good job. And that goes back to, again, like just, hey, those kids, those kids, the parents are more into it than the kids are. The kids want to have a good time. So, hey, we, I tried to give it my all. We had good workers and as I like to say, we, we landed the plane in each of those camps. So we certainly that got them in the door, kept them safe and got yeah. them home safely. That's all that mattered. If they learned any basketball, then great. But, uh, kept them UC, kept Definitely. them UC, kept them yeah. UC. But no, I, I mean, to that point, I mean, those, those two transition years, that first year, um, like I said, you came in, you were a GA, but, uh, the way in which that you carried yourself and spoke with the players and the staff would have never known it. Um, you, you could tell you had the experience, you knew what you're doing. It was, uh, a little, a little, um, fly by the seat of our pants, but things were taken care of. And then the last year with the transition year, um, that happened like during that camp. Cause I remember like Fred was there the first day and then wasn't, and then prone was there the last day. And you guys were trying to figure out who the hell's going and who's staying and who has a job. It was a, that was a crazy, that was a crazy like week stretch there with everything going on. It was, that was unique, but like I said, I mean, Hey, it's just, that's, that's, that's why I say like you, people see the, the, you know, you, like I said, kid from Cedar Falls. I know that guy, he, I can do that. You can do that. It's sometimes hard to explain the unexplainable. That's, that's the best way I could describe it sometimes. And you just, you problem solve, you think on your feet and, uh, here's where we stand. So, and, and if not, then you just ask kids if, uh, <laughs> if you want to see them, see you tie your shoe, right? <laughs> I can always bring out that bag of tricks as well. So that, <laughs> that, that usually brings the attention back rather quickly. So Which I'll is, tell you what, like you, you say what you want and you know, this at elementary PE, that's, you get 25 kids, one in the door, one out the door. Like those kids will let you know if you have a good lesson plan, because if you don't, you'll lose them. They won't listen. They have to go to the bathroom. They want to get a drink. So like, I, I will, like I said, you better, you better know what your, your teaching is. Cause if you think parents or adults are ruthless, like elementary kids hold nothing back as we know. So no, I tell you what, uh, it, it is impressive. If you think about it, I mean, think about tying your shoe one-handed. It is, it's an impressive feat and it'll stop anybody when they really think about, Hey, this, yeah, I do want to see you tie your shoe. It's not super impressive to me, but I have learned that's a trick that makes people that, that at least gets their attention. I, I always say that I don't know how you tie your shoe with two hands. I've never done it. So the good thing is I have no experience. Otherwise, it's either a sink or swim. And then luckily, I, I figured out uh, how to make it work for me. So, Well, good. Hey, so two things I want uh, to touch on before we transition out of Iowa State. And one is obviously working with Fred. Um, his offensive mind is incredible and in what he's able to do, um, most specifically on the shooting side and shooting form and technique. Um, and so maybe maybe uh, shooting is not something that you took, but what, what's one thing that you really took away from, from your time working with and, and under uh, Coach Hodrick? Well, 
uh, I mean, I can't limit it to one. Like the one thing I will say, like obviously, Coach Eustachie's defensive background was off the charts. It was simple. It was great as a younger coach to learn from there. Fred's offensive mind, the fertility of his mind, the willingness to take risks and to put players in the position to match their strengths was just something I had never really experienced in high school. It was, you run this play, no matter what the players are and you figure it out. And I, at Southern Miss, it was, <laughs> we were going to guard, we were going to rebound and there was no real thought to, I mean, ball movement, player movement, but like Fred, just with his background in the NBA and all that, he was just like, you know, he would put a guy like Dustin Hogue, who had a very limited skill set as a junior college kid from, you know, Indian Hills, and he would put him in a specific places that he could excel at, rather than trying to make him fit the system. Um, and like that part, to me just just the ability to think outside the box and it really really stretched me in that amount of time like I did all of our scouts at Southern Miss so I learned offense from other teams like we played Memphis three times they were in our league Derek Rose jumped over our two guard and dunked it I learned offense from scouting like because no one else did the scouting so I did that but like also seeing the other side of it the install and just the progression the individual workouts like that Fred and his system was just a, it was a huge thing for me uh, to get that part of it. So I feel like I've been very well-versed from both ends. I mean, Fred had a very regimented shooting workout that he did, that he did when as a player with Chris Mullen back, back in the day in his NBA career. So get to see that and to get his feelings on it were obviously a, a huge thing. And, and then the situation I was in, I was able to work with a lot of those guys on their shooting and things like that. It was just a good experience for me in a lot of ways. So one thing, one thing I do want to um, mention is you've had the unique opportunity, obviously to coach uh, at the highest level here in the NBA, but um, what's, what co similarities and differences and what's the toughest part transition? Cause you've coached at the high school level. Um, you've coached at the college level and now obviously coaching uh, in the big leagues in the NBA. What, uh, what, what are some of the key transition points there and maybe some similarities that it doesn't, it doesn't matter the level? Yeah, the biggest thing is, and, you know, I mean, when I went to college when I was 25, when I went back to college when I was 34, when I went to the NBA when I was 37, like, ultimately, the relationship with me is first and foremost. Um, I'm a big believer in this, like, when it comes to coaching and especially the higher the level you get, like there's three ways that you can really relate to two players. Um, one is playing. Well, I can relate to high school players cause I played at that, but I didn't play past high school. So now as I move up college and pros, that's not going to ultimately garner a lot of attention or, or respect per se. Two is, is your level of experience. You know, like if, you have championship experience, especially at the level that you're playing of the, of your learners, that's going to garner a lot of respect as well. Well, at the NBA going into it, obviously, you know, year one, you don't have that. And even to this day, I mean, I'm, I've completed five years in the NBA, so it's not like I have rings to show off to these guys. Um, so that's not going to be my fallback uh, of how I'm going to relate. The third 
bucket or area that I try to navigate in. And I've always tried to, is like I said, just the relationship piece, the, the consistency that I can provide them. Like what you have to understand, especially at a level like this is, you know, these guys, even though these are professional athletes, they're getting, you know, they've had a lot of people come in and out of their lives. There's a lot of people that are trying to get their money, trying to get their status or fame, like building up trust with guys that, that are making millions and millions of dollars to me is a huge thing. And I, and I don't take for granted that their window as an NBA player could be limited, whether it's, you know, a 10 day contract all the way to a 10 year veteran, whatever it is. Um, I think the guys that I've worked with know that I, that I, that I'm not going to sugarcoat things, but I'm also not going to, um, waste their time because I know that their window is, is so short. And I think what has happened is the more that you're in the league and the more that, you know, guys see how they interact and how you treat them, like you can't fake that. And ultimately, if you try to, you're going to be out of the league. And that's why I'm just trying to, uh, continue to be authentic and try to help these guys as much as possible. I think the, the coaches that try to put themselves ahead of the player or put their own egos and those things, I think that's where ultimately, you know, those guys fall short. Um, I, I think, you know, what's, what's hard for people to understand is, you know, in high school, like high school kids, even though they think they know, they don't really know that much. Right. I mean, now as a high school kid, we thought we knew, but like, their level of experiences is, is not going to be what the high school coaches. And even when you get to college, you know, especially your Bill Selves and Calipari's, those guys are, those are the stars. Those are the rock stars. But when you move up into um, the pros, like those guys are the stars. Like Zach Levine's making 19 million. I'm not going to make that. So like, how can I, how can I relate to him? Well, it's by making sure that, that I'm on point with what I'm telling him. I'm not giving him stuff that's, that's going to lead him astray because if I do, he's going to have to answer to the media or have to answer to all those things or it's going to put his career in jeopardy. So I can't, I can't make a mistake that way. Um, and if I do, I better have so much equity built up that it was something that honestly that maybe we came together on the, on the same path together rather than this is my path. This is what you have to do. It doesn't work at this level. And I think um, that's just how I've, I've earned my niche. And, you know, that's how I've been fortunate to have some of the relationships that I have today. Yeah. I think that's one of the tough things is that everyone, you know, thinks, well, if, if you play and I've experienced this plenty of times, yeah, you might have played at a high level, but playing and coaching, are completely different and it just because just because you can go out and do doesn't mean you can always go out and teach and so um yeah it, it's definitely a, a battle um and so w one thing too i gotta say uh coach we've been on the call here for almost an hour and i haven't heard tools in your toolbox yet what's the deal with that that's a that's a classic coach lenser and it hasn't come up yet tools in your toolbox is huge you know I, I love the uh be seen by being unseen too that was a that's a big big thing I believe in too, or the somewhere someone else is already doing what you're thinking about. That's a, that's a constant motivator for me as well. Instead of thinking about it, let's, let's do it and let's be about it. But, you know, going back to too, like the, I, I guess this is it. Like 
even kids is younger younger people these days but but especially at the in the nba level like the what is important but the why has become more and more important that i've seen and the longer that i've come to coach and if you can't answer the why yourself as a coach then good luck trying to get the learner to to buy into what you're saying because a lot of them are going to want to know that and sometimes i know growing up like you didn't ask questions when I was, when I was playing anyways, I don't know about you guys' experience. And, um, you know, it's almost like coaches would get offended if you'd ask them questions really. Um, and now that's, that's not the way, way it is. You better be prepared, um, to defend what you're telling them to do. And ultimately if you can do that and you're comfortable in doing that, then I think guys will still, or gals will still run through brick walls for you and, and meet their ex level of expectations and maximize their tools in their toolbox. <laughs> there it is. No, I, I 100% agree with you. Obviously, my time coaching, I especially more for the parents, um, as much as it was the parent, uh, the players, is I told them, like, if you have a question on why we're doing something, ask me, because there's there's always a reason. You know, if you there's a reason on why we're doing this, um, and I'm happy to share it with you. And uh, Yeah, I agree. That, uh, that's a good one. And But I do think that the players, and especially, like you said, now, you're not answering to parents or to high school coaches or whatever it is on, on why you're answering to the players. And so it's, you got to know what you're doing and there's not a buffer in between it. It's, it's you and the players and, and let's go and let's, we're all got the same goal in mind. Yep. No. And that's, and that's what the, you know, I mean, as you know, it's, you know, with, with parents, you know, sometimes they don't see the whole story and they don't, and they've already predetermined what, <laughs> what they're going to come up with. So I, I, I can empathize with, with, with high school coaches especially and even some college but that's the one thing as you move up these are professionals so like that's the good news and that can sometimes be the bad news but like I am dealing more with adults so you talk to them more like adults and you reason with them and you you know and again this is their brand this is this is this is their profession and to be honest with you it if you don't if you do not provide them with things that are going to help them in their career, trust me, it'll be a very quick <laughs> ending for you. And, uh, and I've seen it and I've just been lucky enough to, to be able to stay in the game, uh, for these five years. Awesome. Awesome. Well, um, we'd like to end our podcast here, coach, with a little rapid fire where Brian's going to hit you with a couple questions and, uh, we want to hear the answers that come to your head first. Okay. Sounds good. This is what you've been waiting for right here. You said you wanted some genuine stuff. So, um, all right. So first one, usually one of our first ones, pretty easy. Uh, we're going to remove Hilton and the United Center. Outside of those two, what is your uh, favorite gym or arena that you've coached in? I'll remove Nielsen Fieldhouse as well. So that's cool. <laughs> yep. Um, Roadhouse. Uh, Vanderbilt was pretty cool. We coach at Vanderbilt, just the unique, you know, they've got the elevated stage and all that. It just, for its uniqueness, that one pops in my head right away. That's a good one. Yeah. Not, a, it's tough to watch on TV with sitting down on that. It's tough to, it's tough to coach too. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard to get people's attention on the other end, especially when you're on the road and the fans aren't exactly being helpful to you as well so Festus Azili dominate us uh, dominated us one night him and John Jenkins I got the first row seat at that so I, I guess if you're a player uh as long 
as long as the coach is on the opposite end of the defensive end of the floor, it's probably not too bad. You know, get screamed at all the time. There you go. Yep, there you go. You just better be careful if you're standing up too much. You fall off the end of the, you know, you're elevated. It's it's a weird, too, because it's like you do feel like you're in, like, just a auditorium. It doesn't really feel like a basketball gym. You just feel like you're at a country concert. And what's also <laughs> crazy is the, the hoops are suspended from the sea, ceiling and then – just behind the basket it just goes so so high it's it's just a very unique place so no that's cool um probably know the answer to this but who's the greatest basketball player of all time why are we asking this question? <laughs> a, lot 20, 20, 20, a lot of people say that actually a lot of people say that 23 and i will throw that so i this is a little side note like and this goes into me not me appreciating each and every day so I wear Jordans every day for practice and for like during games that's just like a I mean obviously I get to work for the Bulls as well and that's that's a cool part but like I have my first pair of Jordans which are Jordan 4s that are actually in my basement right now I got them at Foot Locker and Crossroads uh for $55.89 so I still have them the heel the, they're falling apart but I still have them so like I like, I don't think I would, I don't think I would believe that I could be a part of basketball if it wasn't for 23. So, um, my first NBA game I went to was the Bulls Timberwolves at the Target Center. And I have the ticket stub still to this day. I also have my ticket stub, believe it or not, from the, uh, from the last dance, the LeBradford Smith game. I went to one game, the Chicago Stadium game, or the Chicago, in the Chicago Stadium, and it was the LeBradford Smith game. So, Wow. I have that ticket stuff. So those are my two first memories of Michael Jordan. And it's, yeah, it, you'll never, cool. you'll never sway me from that. So. <laughs> what, did, what did you think of last dance? Did you just love every second of it or what? It was, it was interesting. It was, I, you know, I loved all of it as a kid growing up in Cedar Falls. My dad is from Illinois. So I was actually a Bulls fan before Jordan showed up. I went in the basement and Dave Corzine and Orlando Woolridge, some of these guys that I didn't know that are essentially were having some extracurricular activities based off of the last dance, you know? So I, then all of a sudden you get Jordan and it's like, Whoa, this is pretty cool. But it was, it was really good. It was interesting though for me. Cause like, I know those characters, a lot of them too. Like I know Scotty Pippen, Horace Grant is an ambassador for our team. Tony Kukoc is an ambassador for our team. Bill Wennington does our color commentating for the radio. Um, Tim Floyd. <laughs> I was sitting with Tim Floyd when they won the fifth, when the, when the Bulls beat Utah for the fifth championship, not knowing that all the other stuff that was going on. Um, so it's just, you know, it was, it was, it was weird because, it, you know, that's, that's the one thing. Like, I love NBA. I love basketball. But it's – as I've gotten older and it's my profession, it still is my profession. So, sometimes it's hard to be the straight fan. That's probably why I still love following the Bears and Cubs and White Sox because I can actually be a fan. When it comes to – it gets, gets a little more uh, complicated when, when you know the characters, if that makes sense. So oh, yeah, it, it was, it was, it was, it was very cool. And obviously the timing of it was off the charts. I mean, Randy Brown, who was on there, I coached with Randy Brown for three years. So, and he's one of my good friends. So it's just, it's, it was, uh, it was, it was cool, but it was a little weird for me. Yeah. I'll tell you one, one, one thing that I enjoyed most about the last dance was Wennington's facial hair. 
<laughs> yeah. He had the uh, the hand the hand, handlebars going on. I don't know if he still has that, but that he's was got the handlebars going with 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 the ball ball. He doesn't, <laughs> and he he kind of had the semi mullet going every once in a while there too. So uh, yeah, that's yeah. yeah. But no, and Bill's like like Bill's legitimately a great guy. It's just cool like when you see these guys and they're cool guys. Now yeah. there are a couple of characters that weren't great guys, and I'll leave that out who they are. But like Bill Wennington is like I. They can near call him a friend, which is kind of cool. I would call Randy Brown a friend, you know. I've seen it's just interesting how that all played out. So, yeah, that's great. Make it even more interesting. But um, all right, so next one here. What's your uh, what's your favorite? Maybe not the best, but what's your favorite golf course? Hmm. Well, for me, it's 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 a place called Maple Bluff, and it's in Geneseo, Illinois, because my dad is the worst golfer maybe on the planet. Like he, uh, his, his, uh, practice swing that looks nothing like his actual swing and he can't figure out why his real swing doesn't work. But my grandparents were both huge golfers and I would go and spend a week with them in the summertime. And I actually learned how to golf on, it was called Ford Hills when I was growing up and then it turned into Maple Bluff and Geneseo and both of those grandparents have passed away. So that's like, my golf, my golf game comes from my, my two grandparents that are from Geneseo, Illinois, and that's the golf course that I uh, ultimately swung my first clubs on. Good. No, I like that. Um, all right. So does Chicago, we got to settle something here. Does Chicago have better pizza or better hot dogs? Uh, pizza. I would, the, the hot dogs, it, now the Polish sausages would maybe in the and the italian beef now that would be but as far if you're just saying hot dogs versus pizza it's pizza by far and i can as a as a true chicago and i could tell you because i know iowans like to go to chicago so here's the deal you go giordano's if you want to go thick and you go aurelio's if you want to go thin and then uh, luminati's is one that people like but i'm just not a, completely on board but like here's the deal giordano's it's kind of like if you live in Orlando, you like only go to Disney World when people are in town. Like for me, we only have the the Giordano's when we have people from out of town because you have too much thick. You you don't. It's like you're you're trash from that. So we really like the Aurelio's thin is the one at least in the Lenzer household here in West Chicago is is what we go with. We just got Giordano's. Uh, how do you say it? Giordano's. Giordano's. I think yeah, there's the chain's starting to move its way. I think there's like one in Vegas. Is there one in Des Moines there's now? Maybe in West Des Moines. Yeah, just yeah. probably six months ago. Or That's good. Yeah. although I'll say Great Plains and Ames is always going to be a, a, a personal favorite. Like. The wheat crust with the honey is always it's that's hard to beat. And then even in Cedar Falls, you go OP. Oh. There's just something about the OP, especially like the further you're away from it. Like I've had a couple chances to be out of state, so I can appreciate it even more every time I come back. <laughs> hey, it's hard to beat a tough pie. I mean, if you know where a good pizza is, you're gonna make everybody happy. Absolutely. Although this is how simple life has gotten for us. Now we're on the little Caesars train because the girls just want cheese pizza and it's the cheapest and we could get it in about 38 seconds. So, you know, for $8, if you can feed a family of five, you'll go for that, especially in Chicago. So, oh, 
Absolutely. No, we, we still, the, I mean, four kids now, we put the pizzazz, we bust the pizzazz out and still do some jacks because we at least know the kids will eat it. Mm-hmm. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, we got to ask this one. You kind of maybe already answered it or at least skirted around it, but what's, uh, what's the best basketball shoe of all time? Uh, Jordan 4. Jordan Ford, did you say white and cement or what color? No, I, 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 I had to, I had all black. I didn't have the white cement. I had, I posted on Twitter. I did have the white one, just the white and red, not the cement, but I acquired those through a trade actually for some baseball cards. But the thing was in, you know, fourth or fifth grade, for some reason, that's when the air pockets first came out, as you guys know. And it was like the fad at Southdale elementary was, there's not really air there. So you stick the pencil through just to hear the pop. And wow. so I acquired those Jordan fours with a, with a pop in the air bubble for a baseball card. And honestly, I had to lay them to rest a couple months ago. I tried to super glue them and all of it. And it just, it was, yeah, it was, it was a sad day in the Lenzer household. I'm not going to lie, but I still have the, the originals that I got with my mom that this is, you guys will appreciate this. So I bought them. My mom bought them in November. They were $55 at the time, which was an absurd amount. And YMCA basketball did not start until January. And my mom's only thing was I could not wear the shoes outside until basketball started. So in the, so in the basement, I had a mini court and I would pretend to do Jordan dunks in the basement or watch Iowa state basketball games and pretend to be Jeff Grayer. <laughs> And then once basketball started, then I was rocking those shoes. That's Jordan four, man. That's a good one. Can't, uh, can't go wrong with that. So sticking, sticking with the Cedar Falls theme, what's the, you, you kind of mentioned, but what's the best place to eat in Cedar Falls? Um, it peppers. I'm going peppers. <laughs> I would, but, I would agree with that highly for sure. It's, I mean, what it, oh, I went back though. And they like, I asked for the pinch hitter basket, which I don't know. They've essentially changed it to something else. I was a little distraught because the waitress kind of looked at me like, what's that? And she's like, oh, is it that? I just, I just, I, the older part of me just says, no, when I say pinch hitter basket, I want that and I want the sauce and I want you to know what it is. Now I haven't had like diet Mountain Dew for quite a while. Cause I kind of had a thing with it. And that was the, that was the go-to, especially in college was the pinch hitter basket with diet Mountain Dew. I could have probably, that was, that was right after the Cedar Falls rec center. That's usually where I would go to is, is to eat that meal afterwards. So. Um, so following up with that, have you, did you ever buy a CD from the music station? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you know, there was a, uh, God, I'll be honest with you. And I can't remember what it's called, but in front of the Cedar Falls, the college square mall, which is, falling apart there was like a there was a different cd store there where you could almost buy them used and i can't remember the name of it it was right by the blockbuster video that's where i got the majority of of my uh my cds music station was way on the other side of town see i kind of lived southdale so i was right behind the mall so you know music station was first street that was that was a ways away um Now the the other thing that was big time there though too is you had music station and you had Godfather's Pizza so you put those two things together right next door that was that was a good trip that was a good trip and the gas was always the cheapest at the music station as well so super cheap they had to put water in that gas there was that was that was always what everybody said I don't know but 
it was going to college there too they always had the cheapest bush light so yeah. no matter how far you lived away in college you you would make you would make that trip yeah you got you got a penny pinch especially in college right yeah. Yeah. every cent matters so hey do you, Nate, do you remember when shields was in that building in front of the mall absolutely blackhawk village that's when life was good then like it was yeah started to go downhill when it went to the uh to college square and now it's left college square and the mall's falling apart when it was in blackhawk village i'm telling you the the sale rack there was off the charts because you had the light orange was just a regular but the dark orange though that that was big time that that's that and that ha that move happened when i was about a junior or senior in high school i believe but that was that was a rough day that 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 shields was because it almost like once it went into college square it just got a little too big no offense but it got a little too hunting in there and yeah. stuff like that it was just like it was like straight apparel and at least for my taste it had everything that i ever wanted except for the the hawkeye gear that was in there it was like it had like a card shop feel because there was stuff like jerseys hanging from the ceilings in there and oh, yeah. yeah there were treasures you had to you could you you had to search you had to you had to bargain shop and you could you could find some stuff off the beaten path for sure that was that was great well all right so last one a little bit of a loaded question i know you'll you'll run with it good here but uh what what is the best part about being able to coach the sport you love in basketball you know, it's, I, you know, I don't, I just, I, I don't know. That's, that's a great question, actually. It's just, I mean, the fact that I've got to coach my high school, my college at Iowa State, and now the team I grew up, you know, watching with my dad, the Bulls, is just like that in and of itself is like, there, there's no day that I take for granted. Like, and I, and I understand that and I realize that it's still as a, it still is work and I, and the amount of, um, effort that I put into this, like, I can't be some fanboy or whatever. Like this is, this is like, this is huge. Cause I, um, I have been a fan and I know how important it is that we succeed. It was, it was tough for me at Iowa state when we lost. Cause it's like, you know, like it would ruin my weekend or what, whatever, as a, as a fan growing up. So like, the level of hurt that you feel, especially when you're that invested is, is a little bit different. Um, so there is a lot of pressure. So, but I, but I still think there is, it's important that I appreciate each and every day. Um, you know, I, I love sports. I love working with people. I love, um, I love helping a guy like Ryan Archidiakono go from an undrafted guy to getting, a three-year nine million dollar deal i love and being a part in a little way of of helping someone like that stay in the nba um i love helping a guy like chris dunn who didn't have a very good year the year before work really hard put in a lot of work in the after hours and see him have a, a much better year and, and and help his career um so there's that human element as well that I that I don't ever want to lose touch of and I don't take for granted that I get to do this on on the biggest stage in the world I mean there's only 30 NBA teams uh, on the planet um, I the last two years I've been top 90 as far as assistance 
in the world being on the bench. And, and I realized that, that that could end tomorrow. So I appreciate every day. And it's just a cool thing. And it's um, the fact that I can now make it work and, and have a family to go along with it. I just feel like I've got a good balance and I, I appreciate it. And then I just, I hope it lasts as long as possible. And if I'm a JV coach back in Iowa someday, they're going to get the same level of, of focus and determination. But at the end of the day, um, I can also look myself in the mirror and know that, I, that, I've, that I've tried my hardest every day and that, that I've tried to give the best of me to whoever it is I'm coming in contact with. Well, Coach, we, well said. We really appreciate you taking some time, um, sharing some stories with us and going over everything. Uh, um, obviously, we'll be thinking of you and watching here as, as things continue to transition and uh, um, be paying attention here this off season and um, wishing you the best of luck and say hi to the girls for us and, and continue to take care of them and, and hold it down in Chicago for Iowa. Will do, and I, I just, I do, I mean, I, I reached out to you guys. I wanted to be a part of this. This is, this is a cool, um, you know, Adam, I don't know you as well, but I've always uh, been a fan of yours from afar. I mean, I have followed your career and I know a lot of people that say a lot of good things about you. And then obviously Brian, we've, we've had some good times together. So it's, uh, you know, I like, I like spending time with good people. So I just appreciate the opportunity and, and I think it's a cool thing you guys are doing. Well, next time, uh, next time me and Brian are over that way, Giordano's. Giordano's, and if we have fans and what, and I'm still with the Bulls, uh, I'll get you tickets. It's just we'll see how long. Uh, all right. We just got we got a lot of hurdles to, to with the COVID and all the other stuff, but uh, but hopefully yeah. you, you guys can see us in action someday. But uh, yeah. but I do I do appreciate you guys uh, having me on today. Yeah, yeah, for sure, and of course we. Uh, we are keeping our fingers crossed for that as well. You know, we want to get back to somewhat normal and have those, have those basketball games with the, with the fans in, in the, in the stands cheering, cheering everybody on too. So, um, and as usual to um, all of our listeners, we appreciate you. And if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a five-star rating wherever you catch your podcast at. And um, on our social media channels, search for Shooters Touch on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram at Shooters Touch IA. And as usual, Shooter shoot.